podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. All these years, I have hoped beyond hope that I didn't have it. But it's clear now that I do. My grandfather was the first in our family to get diagnosed. And it was only after his death that they were able to give us the name of the thing that had been killing people in my family for generations. F-F-I. Fatal Familial Insomnia. My grandpa was almost 70 when we first noticed that something was wrong. He probably had it for months, maybe even years at that point, but men of that generation are so proud he could have lost a limb and hidden it from us for the rest of his life. I can't imagine how much he suffered and how hard he had to work to keep it from us. Then one day I called him for our monthly check-in and got the first sign that some part of my grandfather was failing. We were discussing something unbearably boring like his community HOA or the scheduled maintenance on his Buick when I first noticed it. He said something along the lines of, and I'll tell you what, Susan, or some phrase I'd heard him say an infinite number of times. But when he said my name, the S dragged out for several seconds too long. Are you okay, Grandpa? I asked hesitantly knowing that I was taking my own life into my hands by insinuating that the patriarch of the family might need some type of help for once. What? What do you mean? He bellowed, and I immediately changed the subject. We carried on for the 30 minutes it always took to run down the checklist of polite topics we'd established over the years, and just before I hung up, I heard it again. Okay, Grandpa, it was good to talk to you. Enjoy Naples next month, I said and then added the sentence he'd never once returned in my 20 years of life. I love you. If you ask me, Naples is a town full of people that are so rich they've lost their damn minds. He cleared his throat before attempting the last sentence. But your grandma loves it, so we go. He hung up before I could ask him again if he was okay, but not before I registered that he'd slurred again. I immediately called my grandma, concerned that he was having a stroke, and she picked up with her usual cheerful greeting. Oh, hi, sugar. How's my sugar? I'm good, grandma. Hey, look, I was just talking to grandpa and his speech slurred a couple of times. I wanted to let you know so that you could check in on him. She giggled and then shared a string of her trademark platitudes that ended with, but between you and me, Your grandpa has been enjoying one too many adult beverages with his buddies at the country club during their Wednesday lunches. The man still thinks he's 25 and there's no telling him otherwise. (laughs) Ah, I responded and my relief was immediate. I had attended several of those lunches with my grandpa over the years and he and his similarly boastful friends always seemed to be in a race to get to the bottom of their rocks glasses. Yeah, (laughs) that makes sense. Thanks, grandma. I sighed. And then we carried on talking about how my classes were going and the other topics only grandmothers are interested in. 
by the time he started hallucinating, he only had two months left. And his death was so abrupt and shocking, the effect it had on my family was seismic. My grandfather had been a computer engineer in the medical sector, so he had decided before I was born that he would donate his body to science. My grandmother honoured his long-standing wish, and by some stroke of divine luck, his body ended up in a study that would enlighten us of our cruel and inescapable fate. FFI. Fatal Familial Insomnia, or in layman's terms, a totally incurable genetic condition that makes you stay awake until you die. Lucky us. In a nutshell, it's a condition caused when a tiny genetic mutation causes a misshapen protein in the brain called a prion. The abnormal prions attack the thalamus, the centre of our brain which controls consciousness, sight and sleep, and once it starts attacking, you slowly stop sleeping. Until eventually you never sleep again. When they've studied the brains of people who suffer from FFI, they say that so much damage has been done, they look like they are full of worms holes. It's so rare. There are only around 70 families on records who have passed down this horrendous heirloom onto unsuspecting generations of doomed offspring. Science didn't discover it until 1986, so we were the first to know what our futures held, and I can tell you firsthand that knowing is hell. I managed to hold on to the delusion that my grandfather's case was an isolated fluke caused by something he'd caught at one of the hospitals he'd worked in, and it would never affect me. But that beautiful illusion was shattered during what should have been a normal dinner with my parents in a string of hundreds of normal dinners with my parents. So many people I know have fought their whole lives to avoid normalcy, but I know now that living a long and ordinary life is the most extraordinary gift a human being can receive. If you are lucky to be healthy and comfortable and warm and fed for the entirety of your life, you should start and end each day openly weeping out of gratitude that you have been selected and protected by some divine presence that remains entirely estranged from the rest of us. On the night that changed everything, I met my mum and dad at their favourite restaurant, which I would describe as a cross between a honky-tonk bar and a retirement home. My dad was the sweetest man on earth, but had not inherited his father's advanced intelligence and had opted for a much simpler life with my equally sweet and simple mother. I had moved to a town four hours away from my parents after accepting a promotion at my company, and so many months had slipped away since I'd made the move that a year had somehow passed without seeing them. I spotted them across the parking lot as I walked towards the restaurant, so reverse course to greet them midway. When they got close enough that I could see them more clearly, I was so shocked at my dad's appearance that I involuntarily stopped in my tracks for a moment. The thing my dad had inherited from my grandfather was his love for routine, and a huge part of my father's routine had been eating healthy, sensible meals and exercising regularly. So he had always been a very strapping and handsome brand of nerdy dad with his toned physique and healthy complexion. 
I could clearly remember my horror when it registered that my female friends in middle school and high school were flirting with my father after one of them commented that he had it going on. My whole world shifted as I suddenly saw past his dorky dad jeans and his white tennis shoes for the first time in my life and his understated good looks came into focus. He would never be a full-blown heartthrob, but he was a healthy and handsome man. Until the night that a total stranger appeared next to my mum in the parking lot and everything started to crumble. My dad's jeans and polo looked three sizes too big. And as I reached out to hug him, I realised he was drenched in a clammy sweat despite the mild temperature outside. His skin was almost grey, his eyes sunken, and he seemed to almost vibrate with effort as we slowly crossed the space between us and the entrance to the restaurant. Are you doing okay, Dad? I finally asked once we were inside, and he was so exhausted from the walk across the lot that he immediately had to sit on a bench just inside the door. Oh, I'm fine, he said weakly and his eyes darted around the room nervously, refusing to make contact with mine. I shot a look at my mum, who returned a tight smile, and we were interrupted by the hostess instructing us to follow her to our table before I could press any further. I was so shaken by my father's presence that I was too scared to bring it up again as we quietly flipped through our menus and ordered our meals. My dad tried to overcompensate by pasting a desperate smile on his face and asking me about my life with too much enthusiasm but I went along with it out of fear of facing the reality of whatever was happening to my father. Of course, there was something in the back of my mind that knew exactly what was happening to my poor, sweet dad without anyone saying anything. But the truth was so nightmarish. I think we were all too scared to speak it into existence. We carried on with our reenactment of all the dinners we'd had together before my dad turned into a shadow version of himself and <laughs> I'm still amazed at all the topics we were able to come up with to avoid discussing the tsunami on the horizon. <laughs> at one point my mum asked me if I'd seen some boy I'd been friends with in high school and hadn't seen in over a decade but I managed to conjure up a memory of one of his recent Facebook posts so we blathered on about that for much longer than the subject required. Halfway through an empty comment about how well he seemed to be doing at his job, my father suddenly reached across the table, gripped my forearm with incredible strength and let out an excruciatingly long and soul-rendering scream. Before I had a chance to register what was happening, he pushed away from the table with so much force he chipped backwards and his chair collided with the people behind us. By the time my mum and I made it to his side of the table, he'd managed to detangle himself and was sort of crab-walking backwards with his eyes wide, staring at something across the room. Where are Dad's eyes? He moaned as Mum and I flanked him and tried to calm him down. What, honey? My mum asked in her most comforting tone and wrapped her arm behind his back to try and hold him in place. His eyes... He screamed in near hysterics. Dad just got here, but his eyes are gone. Where are his eyes? I scanned the room for any sign of an eyeless man resembling my dead grandfather, but there were just a handful of families staring 
stunned over their plates of two-for-one ribs and trying to shield their young children from the man on the ground who was clearly having a mental breakdown. It's okay, Dad. Grandpa just forgot his glasses. I said the first thing that popped into my mind, and luckily it worked. My dad crumpled with relief and immediately started sobbing into my mum's chest, who comforted him while he weakly apologised to the restaurant patrons within earshot. Luckily, I had planned to spend the weekend with my parents, so I didn't have to abandon my mum with the surprisingly unhinged version of my father. When we got home, he looked so weak and resigned, and it was all I could do not to break down myself. I suggested he go to bed and get some sleep, and he looked at me with so much pain in his eyes I had to look away. He agreed to lay down, and once I was sure he was sufficiently out of earshot, I looked at my mum, who could barely make eye contact with me. He's not sleeping. She croaked out and cleared her throat to keep herself from crying. I just nodded and willed myself to accept the truth, but it felt like there was an impenetrable fortress of protection separating my conscious and unconscious mind that refused to let the information through for processing. What exactly are we supposed to do with that information? My conscious mind screamed at my subconscious. How do you ever begin to process that your father is going to stay awake until he goes completely insane and dies, and then one day you will too? I stood up to snap myself out of the doom that was threatening to shut down my mind completely, and I turned to my mum. We're going to fight this, I said with sudden determination. I'll call every specialist in the world until I find an answer, and we are going to fight this, and we are going to win. My mother smiled and her eyes shone back at me with so much love and false hope that my words were true and that we might have a chance, that we might win. That look will haunt me for eternity because, of course, we didn't win. We would never, ever win again. My dad died a year later, and nothing could have prepared us for the depths of depravity he sunk into before he finally went. Every trace of my loving, gentle, handsome father was laid to waste as his brain disintegrated and his body never rested. There was a stretch of almost two weeks where he sat completely still in a room as if trapped in time and space, and we were convinced that it was the worst of it and that he would pass at any moment, but those weeks were bliss compared to what was to come. It's agonising to see someone you love suffer so extremely. I had quit my job and was living with them at this point, so I had a front row seat to my father's madness, and it was torturous to know that he was experiencing fear and torment that he had absolutely no escape from. There was no off switch in his brain anymore, and so he was reduced to an unblinking savage who lived every unending moment trapped in perpetual dread. If I had known the full extent of what he was experiencing, I would have cut off our heinous family curse, but instead I let him suffer. And foolishly trudged forward to meet my own damnation one day. I know now 
that the human will to live was granted by a selfish and voyeuristic god. My father finally, mercifully passed away just over 18 months after the night we had dinner together and I will never stop feeling guilty for being glad he was gone. After his funeral, I helped my mum pack up the house so she could move in with her sister. And I scoured his belongings for any clue about how I could avoid the savage death he endured. But all I found was one passage addressed to me in his day planner that simply said, Susan. Susan. Secure the door. And there was nothing else. No other hints about how to beat my fate and remain intact and sound and sane. My dad was my dad until a switch flipped and his body remained, but his soul vanished into a torment of his mind. I would love to say that I lived the rest of my life to its fullest and took the small inheritance I got from my father and used it to travel the world and revel in the magnificence of the miracle that is life. But I didn't do that. Or anything close. My subconscious quickly won the battle with my consciousness and it consumed it in a fog of foreboding that reduced my life to a dead-end job at a convenience store, a near-empty apartment and as much sleep as the hours would allow. I slept so much I never really woke up. And I know a part of me thought that if I stored up enough rest the disease would never catch me. But I was wrong. I just slept and slept until it was time for me to wake up for good. And then the day came that I woke up and I never slept again. I stopped sleeping when I was 43 years old. And at first I felt lucky that it found me early and that my earthbound suffering would be limited but I had no idea that just meant that my real suffering would be extended. The first four months weren't that bad because my job required almost no brain power and I filled my nights catching up on all the television I'd missed when I'd been sleeping my life away. My body started to fail around six months and so I had to quit my job, but it was for the better because I was safely at home when the hallucinations started. Even in my altered state, I would have felt self-conscious seeing skeletal dogs and dancing flowers in front of the general public at the stop and go. But then the fog set in. When I say fog, I don't mean typical brain fog that we've all experienced after a night of poor sleep or too much drinking. I mean a dense physical, all-consuming fog that blurs lines, obscures worlds and serves as a hiding place for the unimaginable. The fog started rolling in on month nine. The night I first noticed it, I hadn't left my living room in several days as the hallucinations had been less ferocious in that part of the apartment for some reason. I was sitting on the couch, staring at nothing, when I noticed some movement down the hallway. And a couple of seconds later, I realised there was a thin fog creeping out from under my bedroom door. 
Seconds later, it started seeping out from the bathroom, and as I swiveled my head to survey the rest of the space, I saw that it was coming from the underside of the refrigerator and the coat closet as well. By the time the morning sun was peeking through the small crack at the bottom of the blinds, my entire apartment was full of vapour, and it wafted through the space on a breeze that shouldn't have existed in the apartment that I'd sealed tight months ago. For the first couple of days, breaks in the fog would reveal the few pieces of furniture and decor I'd placed in the room, but by the end of the week, things started to shift. I never left the sofa after that and spent hours watching the fog swirl in front of my face until the breeze would catch it and I could see what it had been hiding. There were several times that it was still the dull walls of my living room and kitchen, but other times there would be a vast emptiness beyond the fog. Sometimes the emptiness would be structured like a room or have some semblance of space, but other times it just seemed to stretch on forever in front of me and I knew that I would fall through eternity if I tipped into it. Slowly, the empty spaces started to take more form and I could make out landscapes and rooms that were recognisable in the sense that I had some idea of what was up and what was down, but were alien in form and function. It felt like staring into the uncanny valley of the world where everything was familiar but simultaneously not at all and if you'd asked me what I was looking at I wouldn't have been able to find any earthly words to describe it. And then, finally, they showed up. They are so slow. It was hard to see them through the fog at first somehow they came closer or I was transported to be more near and I could make out their gradual but deliberate movement through the fog that still surrounded us I can't say they were walking because it doesn't seem like an accurate description but that's as close as I can come to explaining what they were doing they seemed to wander seeking something as they came in and out of view and I could never fully see them but I could sense their intentions and their intentions were not good eventually they got close enough that when a dense patch of fog shifted in front of me it revealed one of them and it turned and saw me and for the first time all I could do was scream I screamed a scream that sprang from the beginning of all existence and travelled through all time to find my body explode out of my face and will force me awake and out of the fog for the first and last time. When I came to, I was in this hospital and I was conscious for just long enough to ask for something so that I could write this down. To warn you to warn all of you. Sleep is the control valve. It's the fail-safe our souls require to keep the door closed and keep them at bay. If we sleep, we never meet the fog and they can never find us. If we don't, the door opens 
and even as slow as they are, they will eventually win. We engineered sleep and death so that there is somewhere to go, a way to shut off when consciousness is unendurable. But if they win, those gifts will disappear forever. Nothing ends in the fog and nothing is nice. FFI is just the beginning. It's their first gap in the door. They want to win. They will win. Please. Please. Please don't let them win. Courtney Eck and narrated by Miss Lee Rose Neville. Our Patreon is officially live, so for more stories that haunt, as well as a behind the scenes look at what we do and why we do it, please join at Patreon slash Please Leave Pod. You can follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at Please Leave Pod. Our email is Please Leave Pod at gmail.com and our website is Please Leave Pod.com. This has been a Two Penguins Media production. Quack.